Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Thanks, Evan. Nice job. Hi, Journey. Great to be with every single one of you today, especially if you're our guest, maybe here for the first time. We're looking forward to connecting with you more in the days to come. We're working our way through the series that we call Covenant and Kingdom. We're reading along, I think a whole bunch of you are, in Mike Breen's book by that same title. We're learning together what it looks like for us to live in covenant relationship with God. Remember, it's covenant relationship with God first and foremost, and then out of covenant relationship with God, we're mobilized on the mission of God. First covenant, and then it's mobilized on the mission of God. Relationship first, then responsibility for God's kingdom business, if you will. It's being with God first. It always starts with us being with God first, and then it's doing his kingdom business, conducting his kingdom work. See, at the very end of the day, God wants most for all of us to be one with him, walking in a deeply connected, deeply dependent way. God is our father, we are his kids. And that means something to us. It should mean something to us. That isn't just this neutral reality that we can sort of escape or ignore. Our father God is king, we are his kids, which means here on the planet, we represent the king. We represent our father God. And remember from last week, it looks something like this, this triangle of what this looks like. It all starts with God at the top. He is our father. That's what gives us our identity. Him being our father determines who we are. Our identity, and we're gonna unpack this for the remainder of our time together today, our identity comes out of God being our father. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It comes from God. And then out of that identity, covenant identity, comes our obedience. We follow God because we wanna please him. We wanna bring a smile to his face that's who we are our identity is sourced in God our father he's the one who makes us who we are and God being our father is and should always be the defining characteristic of our lives lots and lots of people these days are walking around living life trying to be defined by their job their economic status the car they drive the school their kids attend and on and on you know this on and on and on this goes but God says very very simply to all of us look you're my kid you are my kid that is the definitive trait of your life our identity then is ultimately in God our 
Father. And today we're going to look at a moment from Jesus' life and see very, very specifically why understanding our identity and living in our identity is so incredibly important. You heard Evan read the account from the temptation of Jesus, which is where we're going to hang out, make camp today. And I'm just going to tell you straight up that the punchline of today is this. The reason that Jesus Christ in the temptation account is able to represent his father God, the king, so well, the reason Jesus is able to exercise the power of God when faced with these really incredibly alluring temptations is that he has an incredibly firm grasp on who he is. He has an incredibly firm grasp on his identity. He has absolutely no doubt in his heart or in his mind that he is God's kid, that God has given him the authority to represent him in all power. And that very, understand this, that very same assurance is meant for you and me as well. It isn't a just for Jesus thing, it is meant for you and me as well. You notice this repeating phrase from the temptation account that Evan read for us, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. You see the devil, he says this again and again. If you are the son of God, that's how he sort of tries to bait Jesus into this whole deal, the whole temptation thing. If you are the son of God. And you know what the devil's going after there. He's going right after the crux, the core of Jesus' identity. Because you see, the devil knows something. If he can cause Jesus to doubt his identity, if he can cause Jesus to question who he is as the son of God himself, he knows then that's the ballgame for Jesus' ministry on earth. If he can pierce the veil of Jesus' identity in God, it's lights out. And Satan knows that about Jesus, and he knows that about us every single day of our lives. And here's the deal. Almost every single time that any of us are tempted... It is or will be a temptation that is related to our identity, to who we are. That's how temptation gets us. The devil goes right after Jesus' identity in three very distinct ways. They're very often the same ways that the devil comes after us. He comes to us. He comes to Jesus through our appetites, right? What's Satan say to Jesus? Turn these stones into? Yeah, turn these stones into bread, why don't you? Jesus goes after, Satan goes after Jesus on the affirmation deal. Hey Jesus, why don't you jump off the temple and prove that God's gonna catch you. This affirmation hook that Satan tries to set Jesus with. And then the last hook that Satan tries to set Jesus with is the ambition hook. I'll give you, Satan says, all the kingdoms of this world, they're mine to give. Come on, come on Jesus. And we're going to spend some time on every one of those three. We're going to uncover exactly what the devil was doing with Jesus and how those very same temptations are our temptations and how we, like Christ, can stand firm. And here's what's true. It's very likely that right now with every single one of us, at least one of those areas is being tested right now. Now it might be happening beneath the waterline, as we like to say around here, in ways that we're not even necessarily consciously aware of, but it's very likely happening with us in one of those three areas right now. Because you see, our identity determines our biography. Our identity determines our biography. Us understanding who we are determines how we live. And this is no secret. It's especially not a secret to Satan. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus knows this well. And the devil comes along and sort of whispers in Jesus' ear this question, are you sure? 
Are you sure you're really the son of God? And as followers of Jesus, it doesn't matter if we've been a follower of Jesus for a short time or for a long time, we have to keep coming back to the identity deal again and again and again. Because what's true is that in Christ, we all have a brand new identity. In Christ, we are new creations. God is our Father, the church is your family, heaven is your eternity, the Spirit of God in and through you is your power, and the devil's gonna come to you and he might whisper or he might shout, are you sure you're forgiven? Are you sure that you're forgiven? Because if you remember back, remember how horrible all those things you did were, are you sure that God's big enough, strong enough, loves you enough to forgive you from all of that, are you sure that God loves you? And Satan will look on your life and he'll say, because it doesn't look very much like God loves you. It doesn't look very much like God has adopted you into his family. It doesn't seem like your Christian family and friends are all that helpful to you. It doesn't really look like other people are going out of their way to serve you. Are you sure that God's your father? And Satan's gonna whisper that in your ear. He's gonna shout it in your face. Are you sure that you're a Christian? Are you sure that you're saved? Are you sure you're loved? Are you sure you're redeemed? Are you sure you're cleansed? Are you sure that you're forgiven? And something else Satan's gonna whisper in your ear or scream in your face. He's gonna say, you know, all those great, big, really big, audacious promises that God makes in the Bible? You know all those promises? If they were true, Satan's gonna say, wouldn't your life look a whole lot better than it does right now? If those were really true, wouldn't your life look a whole lot better than it does right now? And the devil's gonna come at you and he's gonna come at you and he's gonna come after you and he's gonna come after you primarily at the soul level of your identity. He's gonna cause you to question, am I really a child of God? He did it with Jesus, we're not exempt. He's gonna do it with us. Let's talk about appetite first. The devil baits the hook to entice Jesus by trying to get at his appetite. And this one's easy, right? Like, obviously the devil's gonna go after the most palpable desire that Jesus has. He hasn't eaten in around 40 days. And so Satan says to Jesus, turn these stones into bread, why don't you? And we're all humans in this room. And so we know very, very well that our appetites are really funny things, aren't they? They're these like, cravings that we experience as a human being and in the midst of those appetites and cravings and desires what happens is we start to wonder whether or not God is going to be God and whether or not he is going to satisfy those desires in the way that he says he's going to satisfy those desires and what happens when we start to wonder if God's going to deliver on his promises we start to subconsciously say I don't trust my heavenly father to give me a good life I don't trust the identity that God has for me, and so in lieu of me holding out for what God says he's going to provide me, I think satisfying this craving, this appetite, this desire right now is gonna make me feel a whole lot better than I did just a second ago, and so we do. We start to doubt whether or not God's gonna give us the things we need, and so we take matters into our own hands. But Jesus beat the appetite hook that the devil baited for him. How'd he do it? He stood firm, he stood fast in his identity. Jesus knew, my father God is good. My father God didn't lead me out into the desert to 
cause me to starve to death out here. God didn't bring me out here to dump me out on my head. Jesus knew my Father God is going to provide for me, and so I'm standing firm. I'm standing fast. I trust, Jesus says, that God my Father, that he's a good dad, that he's going to take care of me. I'm not buying the devil's lie. I'm not buying the devil's lie. What are some of the appetites that the devil uses to come after us? Well, food's an easy one, right? Like that's kind of a given. But what about the sex appetite? Or what about the pornography appetite? What about the gym appetite? The body image appetite? The personal, we're Americans, so we love the personal comfort appetite, right? Give me all of that. How about the TV appetite? And then I'm gonna hit you where it hurts. What about the Facebook social media appetite? Can't live without that. There's these appetites, there's these cravings. They're not necessarily bad, but they can come to manipulate our appetites in very unhealthy ways. They actually can start to like control us, run our lives. We can't say, no, I can't stop the Facebook deal. I can't stop the gym deal. I can't stop the pornography deal. We can't say no, and that's us stopping trusting God, stopping trusting that he's good, that he's going to give us good things in healthy ways, and so, oh, I'll just take this. I'll just take it for myself, and I'll take it now, please. And I'm gonna tell you how we should respond to the devil's temptation in the area of appetites with every single one of us, because it's kind of a backdoor way. You go at those appetites indirectly, You don't tackle them head on, you go after them indirectly. Learn to use your will to give something up that you do have the power over so that the door of your heart is crowbarred open and God's spirit then will give you the power over the one that you don't have the power over. Now understand me rightly, this isn't just you deciding I'm gonna will that appetite into submission. No, 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 because you can't, do that. That's why we're going at this indirectly. It's the power of God through you. It's actually the principle of Lent that I'm inviting you to take up in your life. It's the principle of Lent. You know that in church history, it's this tradition of giving something up, quitting something, putting something down in the 40 days leading up to Easter. That's the whole Lent deal. You take those 40 days leading up to Easter and you concentrate on what? You don't concentrate on what you're giving up, no. You concentrate on your identity in Christ. And you concentrate on it in such a way that you can pinpoint the appetites and the desires that are controlling you, the stuff you can't say no to, and you give something up that will give you power over that appetite. You go after it indirectly. Next, the devil goes after the affirmation hook. The devil baits the affirmation hook with Jesus. You see, our identity has to come from somewhere outside of ourselves. And so what often happens is we start to seek the approval of others in lots and lots and lots of ways such that what they say, what everyone else says about us, dictates exactly how it is that we see ourselves. We rely on other people to communicate to us whether we're worth something or whether we're not worth something. 
And so instead of standing and living in this confidence that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, which, by the way, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than us being our Heavenly Father's kids. Living in, instead of living in that unshakable reality, we sort of become a bit like drug addicts looking for our next fix, if you will, of affirmation from the people around us who dictate for us who we think we are. We just lean into them. I'm relying on you to tell me how good I am, how bright I am, all those things. But if you've been living life that way, you know there's this sort of hardwired fundamental flaw to this affirmation-seeking kind of living, and it's this. Not everyone in our life gets in with the Feed My Need for Affirmation program, do they? They don't know that we're relying on them to feed our affirmation need, to keep us running on the affirmation treadmill. And so then when people in our lives aren't effusively affirming us day in and day out, what happens to us? We get grumpy, don't we? You know, kind of like an addict looking for our next fix. We can't have it and well, we get grumpy. I need that. Ah. The other problem about the affirmation treadmill is that people's opinions change about us. It can change like day to day. You might love me today and hate me tomorrow. And so, oh gosh, that sets me into quite a life of conflict, doesn't it? And so if we're on the affirmation treadmill, we're always running around wondering, do people think I'm good enough at my job? Do people think I'm a good enough husband? Do people think I'm a good enough wife? Do people think I'm a good enough parent? Do people think I'm smart enough? Do people think I'm cool enough? Do people think I dress well enough? Do people like me enough? Am I popular enough? Do people think I'm successful enough? Do people tell me my house is nice enough, big enough, clean enough, on and on and on? And living on the affirmation treadmill is absolutely crippling to our true, true identity in Christ. And the devil loves to set us on the affirmation treadmill because he knows he'll just keep us running and running and running and running. But understand this, living life the way God intended for us to live life means that we live for God's smile alone, God's pleasure alone. We trust him and we follow him and we obey him. And our affirmation comes from him saying, look, you're my kid, you're my son, you're my daughter. Not about other people telling us how wonderful we are. And so if this is a struggle, if you struggle with the affirmation treadmill, what if you could just remove yourself, and this will be hard, remove yourself from the places and from the cycles where that affirmation addiction is rooted. And you're just gonna tear it out. You're really just gonna quit like cold turkey. You're gonna go right to the source and you're gonna be all done with it. Some examples. How many of us do certain things just so people will affirm us and we don't do those things for any other reason? Right? It's like pulling a lever and candy comes out, you know? I'm gonna do this thing for this person. They're gonna say this and ah. I matter. How many of us have questions that we ask people? We already know the answer to the question, right? But we just want to hear them say it out loud so that we feel really good about ourselves. And so we ask and we ask and we ask and we get the same answer every time. Pull the lever, candy comes out. How many of us have these cycles of action that we regularly engage in just so we can get the latest quick fix of affirmation? And really, it becomes quite addictive, doesn't it? We need people to say certain things about us so that we believe that our lives have value. 
And to stop it, to root that out, you have to go to the source. You go to the people in your life, you find the cycles where you get your hits from, and you just sort of remove yourself, like, I'm out of all that. And we step off of the affirmation-seeking treadmill. Last, the devil goes after the ambition hook with Jesus. He baits up the ambition hook with Jesus and tries to set it. And there's, you've probably noticed this addictive component to every one of the things that the devil goes after with Jesus. Addiction to a certain type of appetite, addiction to affirmation, and with ambition, it's the addiction to, do you know, success or winning. The addiction to success and winning. Now, hear me really clearly, please. Being successful and winning is not even in and of itself bad or wrong but it crosses lines when we need success or when we need a win in order to define who we are at the core of our being. And here's what happens to a whole bunch of people. They say, if I lose or if I don't get that promotion or if I don't get that raise or if I get laid off or if I don't just kill that interview, if this person at work outperforms me, or if my work performance receives any kind of critique, then what do we say? I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And it's like popping that tape into the cassette player. Some of you have no idea what I just talked about right there. It's like pressing the repeat button on your iPod. That's better. And that plays over and over and over again. I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. And that spins, if you will, defining who I am until when? Until the next time I win something. And then the repeat button on the winner gets played. I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a winner. But you can't be a winner forever. And then you're a loser again, and you see how this works on and on and on it goes. And when the devil has that level of hold, grip over us, please hear me, we're almost completely useless to God. We cannot be his representatives. We cannot be his ambassadors because what has life become all about? Me. It's become all about my kingdom way before God's kingdom. If you go back in your memory banks to week two when Bob set that throne chair right here and he asked the question, who's on the throne of your heart and life? Is it God or is it you? And in the ambition deal, if we're hooked by Satan with the ambition deal, it's us sitting squarely on the throne of our hearts and lives. We're calling the shots and God's kingdom is nowhere in view. It's all about me. Have you ever thought that once in a while that God might actually ask us to do something and we might fail at it? Whoa. Have you ever thought that? Once in a while, God might ask us to do something and we fail miserably at it. We're like, no, no, if God asks us to do something, it's gonna be nothing but up and to the right in like steep fashion, right? Blue sky, that's all it, have you ever read the Bible? Right, the scriptures are littered with stories of 
flat on their face failure when what? When people obeyed God. When they did what God asked them to do. But guess what? Even in their failure, they continued to believe, trust, know, live that their father was good, that their responsibility was to obey him. And what do you know? When they did obey God, God's kingdom advanced. God's kingdom took new ground, whether they had a bloody nose or whether they won the day. God's kingdom advanced. Now, well, the thing I'm about to say is going to strike you as absolutely crazy. It's going to strike you as being absolutely out of this world. You're going to, like, guffaw me, and you're going to say, are you kidding me? Because it is so hard what I'm about to say. Because, you see, in our culture, we're so conditioned to compare ourselves to everyone else, to see ourselves as winners or losers, and I just want this to sort of land on you with a thud and let this rock your world a bit. What if you intentionally chose to lose sometimes? You're all reeling right now, I can tell. What if you intentionally chose to lose sometimes? Here's just one example, and you can run this out a million different directions, but what if you, for example, don't have to win that argument? Oh. Yep. What if, what if you just keep your mouth shut? You might have the slam dunk nail in the coffin. I'm gonna. But what if you just don't say it? You just hold it in, you keep your mouth shut, and you choose intentionally to lose the argument because you know what you're doing. By keeping your mouth shut in that particular instance, You're choosing a kingdom of God value, which is relational harmony, over winning an argument. It's just an argument. Who cares? You're not defined by whether you win or lose arguments. You're defined by who God says you are. You're a son or you're a daughter of the most high God. Win the argument, lose the argument, it doesn't matter. What if all of us, especially us as a community, what if we took up this discipline of choosing to lose? And what if we, by so doing, took the teeth out of the devil's ambition hook that he so often tries to bait us into? What if we did that? What if we started doing it today? How might our world change? Because we're intentionally choosing to lose. Three different times we see the devil bait the hook, trying to entice Jesus into really a lesser identity. Three times Jesus stands fast. He stands firm in who he is. I'm a son of the most high God. And so the question lands with us. Will you remain day in and day out as unshaken as Jesus was when your identity is attacked? And it's under attack right now. Will you remain as unshaken as Jesus was when your identity is attacked? Will you live out this reality that you have royal blood flowing through your veins? Will you know, will you know that you have a heavenly father who is good, who is always fighting for you, who will always bring you good things and loves you no matter what? Will you live in that reality? Will you remain unshaken in that truth? And get this, 
your heavenly father who is your dad, he is so near to you. You can almost reach out and touch him. And he loves you and he believes in you and you make him so incredibly proud. And may you walk in that identity every single day of your life. Never settling for a lesser identity. You're a son or a daughter of the most high God. Let's live in that, shall we? Take your stuff if you will and I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and go to prayer. I just invite you to be quiet and still with the Lord and think on and process these things we've been talking about. heads bowed and eyes closed, some of you, you have stake in the ground kind of decisions to make even right now. In particular, related to those three hooks that the devil's trying to snag you with. Maybe for you, it's the appetite hook. Maybe for you, it's the affirmation hook. Maybe for you, it's the ambition hook. Maybe it's two of them. Maybe it's all three of them. And your opportunity to do business with God, your opportunity to drive a stake in the ground with Him is around this question, am I going to live in the identity that God declares about me? Am I going to stand fast in the truth that I am a son, that I am a daughter of the Most High God and let that be enough? And let the appetite and let the affirmation and let the ambition hook just say no thanks. I'm pretty firmly rooted in who God says I am and it's enough. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't want that. I don't want to sell out. I don't want to choose anything less than God's best for me. And so I invite you to do whatever business you need to do with God around that. Make some decisions. Come to some resolve, not just in your power, but in the power of God's Holy Spirit inside of you. And some of you, maybe God is inviting into a covenant relationship with him for the very first time in your entire life. Jesus today has been knocking on the door of your heart saying, it's time to come home. It's time for you to be forgiven once and for all for all of your sin. It's time for you to step into and stand in and live in the identity that I made you for. For 
some of you, God, saying it's time for you to be adopted into my family, the family that you were made for. And if God's been working you over in that way today, you can take that really bold step of trusting him with your whole heart, with your whole life, by praying along with me right now. I invite you to pray with me this way. Jesus, I get it. I've been trying my whole life to earn my way to you, to prove to you, God, that I'm good enough. And God, I'm waking up to this truth that I can't do it. I need Jesus. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And so, Jesus, with all the faith I can muster in this moment, I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you didn't stay dead. Thanks for rising. I trust you, Jesus, with my everything. Here's my whole heart, my whole life, every corner of my being. It's yours. And if you're a person who's stepping into saving faith in Jesus Christ today, that is the single biggest decision of your entire life. Nothing, nothing carries more weight than that decision. And it's such a big deal that around here we invite people to tell us when they make that decision. And this is a private moment. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. It's you, me, and God right now. If you prayed with me just then to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, would you just be really bold and slip your hand up right now and lock eyes with me and let me affirm your decision. Yeah, right here. Way to go. And way to go. Daughters of the Most High God. Yeah, in the back. Absolutely. Yes. In the back. Yes. Way to go. And here. Yes. You, sir. And you, sir. Absolutely. Yes. And there. You. Yeah. Way to go. here yes sir son of the most high God and oh God we love you oh God we stand in amazement at what you're doing And oh God, we trust you. While the devil can bait up whatever hooks he wants to bait up, we're just going to stand fast in who you say we are. We're going to stand fast in your truth. We're not going to sell out. We're going to say, God, you're enough. God, you're enough. You're all I need. And then out of that reality, God, we're going to live on the mission that you've set before us of us reflecting you to the world around us. And oh God, that people would see you in and through us. they would become sons and daughters of the Most High God and that they too would stand fast in that reality. Thank you, God, for defining who we are. Thank you, God, that we don't have to run on a treadmill 
trying to figure it out. May we live, God, in your truth. 